If you have your Bible, open it to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We, um, you'll notice this is not Colossians. We're taking a, a short break from Colossians uh, for four weeks uh, because this is a unique time in the year. This is a unique time in the calendar. Uh, as we've talked about, we're going back to school. New rhythms uh, are starting. New routines are beginning for a lot of families in our area. And so soccer practice is starting. The school routine is starting. Uh, my kids are whining about getting up in the morning. Uh, on Saturday, my daughter, my middle uh, child, uh, as I was putting her to bed, uh, or Friday night, uh, she, she asked, uh, as we were putting her to bed, she goes, Dad, do we have to wake up for anything in the morning? Because she's just not in the routine of getting up and being woken up, and she loves her sleep. And so she was just thrilled to hear that Saturday she didn't have to wake up. And so it's new routines, new rhythms, uh, but I want to take that opportunity while we're setting new, maybe family rhythms, to also remind you guys and encourage us as a church to make, be mindful of our spiritual rhythms as well, our routines and our habits as Christians. And so that's what we're going to look at for the next four weeks, and then we'll jump back in to the book of Colossians. So we're in Hebrews chapter 10 uh, today, and the first rhythm and routine that we're going to talk about is this one right here, church. Like, what are we doing here? You ever think about that? I know sometimes when the sermon's bad, you're thinking, like, what am I doing here, right? But you know, in general, like, what are we doing here? Why do we get up on a Sunday morning and come to this place and sing these songs and listen to somebody talk at you? Why do we do this each Sunday? Do we have to go to church? Do we need to go every week? What's the point of this? You know, I read a, a study uh, this week. Uh, I saw a news article that said that church attendance has been connected to a decrease in cancer diagnoses. So in other words, people who go to church regularly have a lower chance of getting cancer. So you're welcome, first of all. <laughs> Maybe that's why you're here. I don't know. I don't think coming to church is going to keep you from getting cancer necessarily. But I do think the Bible answers for us why we do this. What's the point? And so that's what we're going to explore uh, this morning. So let's read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, then we'll pray and then we'll dive in. God's word says this, Hebrews 10, 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus, who is the reason, to cut to the end of the story today, that he is the reason we gather. He's the reason we can pray to you. He's the reason we have hope. He's the reason we can have joy in the midst of pain. He's everything. Lord, we thank you for your word that guides us, that shows us how to live, shows us how to relate to you, gives us comfort and difficulty and hope for the future. And Lord, as we dive into your word this morning, I pray that you would remind us of these basic truths that maybe we already know, but need to be reminded of today. And above all, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So this text, this, this book, and we're dropping right in the middle of the book of Hebrews, so we're missing lots of super fun context, and that's okay. Uh, but basically what's happening in our passage this morning 
is that the author of Hebrews is saying that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we no longer have to go through this crazy, religious, ritualistic routine to get to God. That's the point he's, he's making in the first uh, four or five verses here, is that, is that we no longer have to go to a temple, we no longer have to have animal sacrifices, we no longer have to do ceremonial washings, we know how, none of that stuff is necessary to have access to God. We don't need a priest to do it for us. We, as believers in Jesus, have access to God right now. And in fact, the Bible says that Jesus is so close to us, we are so connected to Jesus that our bodies actually become temples for the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit of God. And so Jesus is actually closer to us than anything else on earth. We have relationship, fellowship, union with God through what Jesus has done. So we don't need temples, we don't need tabernacles, we don't need sacrifices anymore to access Jesus. Which is a funny way to introduce the idea of you need to go to church. But that's exactly what he says next. You've got Jesus closer than your next breath, but make sure you gather with other believers, he says. Why? That's the question we're going to try to answer this morning. Why go to church? I'm going to hopefully give you three reasons. And the first one is this. Church is for you. Church is for you, people of God. The gathered church helps us stay the course as Christians. It helps us stay on track in our faith, continue to walk with God. You'll remember from our series in Colossians that the whole point of the Christian life is to walk with Jesus faithfully, growing up in him until he comes back. Like, that's it. It's not rocket science. We're just trying to walk with the Lord, be faithful to him, be connected to him until Jesus returns. In the weekly worship service, this gathering is a major factor in that. It's a major tool in our tool belt for accomplishing that. I have never met a mature Christian that did not make the Sunday worship gathering a priority. They don't exist. You've never met one either. Someone who is mature in Christ that doesn't see Sunday morning church as a big deal in their life. And the reason church helps us, this gathering helps us, is mostly by way of reminder. Weekly worship reminds us of the story of the gospel. By gathering here, we're reminded of the story of Jesus, of who he is and what He's done for us in our singing, in our preaching, in our prayers, and even just the conversations that happen naturally among us. We rehearse for ourselves the truth of the gospel, and it reminds us who Jesus is and what He's done for us. Every week, I can promise you, if you come to church here at our fellowship, you're going to hear the truth that you and I were born sinners. That God is holy, and that's a problem that Jesus fixes for us on the cross. And that by his blood, we have access to God, and we are reconciled to God, and we have salvation, and we secure for ourselves eternity in heaven. We will preach that until Jesus comes back, I promise. And the reason is because we're forgetful. And we need to be reminded of that every week. You and I both need someone to tell us this is true every week famous reformer, Martin Luther, he's, uh, maybe it's apocryphal in nature, but he's quoted as, as having this exchange with a church member. A church member comes to him and says, Martin Luther, how come every Sunday you come up to the pulpit and you preach the gospel of grace over and over and over again? Why not move on to other things, to deeper things? Why do you keep preaching the gospel of grace? And Luther is reported to have responded because every week you forget it. And that's true for you, it's true for me, it's true for all of us. We are forgetful people. 
In our Colossians series, we've been saying the point of the Christian life, how we stay on track and how we mature is by keeping our eyes on Jesus. And our Sunday morning worship gatherings, in many ways, is like someone coming along to us after we've been beaten and battered by the week and just telling us to put our chin up and look again at Jesus. See, this world has a way of hurting us and knocking us down, and our gatherings should build us up and encourage us. Weekly worship also reminds us that there are other people who are walking this walk with us. We're not alone in our faith. When we're able to look around the room, you can look to the left and to the right and see that there are others just like you who are trying to be faithful to the Lord in a world that makes that really difficult to do. And weekly worship reminds us that others are in this with us. This word church that we use, it's a confusing word because we use it wrong a lot, right? The word church in the original languages, it actually means gathering. It just means people. It's, that's, that's what church is. Church has nothing to do with a building. You may have learned if you grew up in church of the, the, old, the nursery rhyme that you do with your fingers. Have you ever seen this, right? How's it go? You say, here's the church. Here's the steeple, right? Open the doors. See all the people. Totally wrong. Totally wrong. Stop teaching your kids that terrible. We ought to instead say, here's the building. It has a steeple. Open the doors. The church is a people because our church, we are a gathering. That's good. Thanks. Maybe I'll start a kid's ministry. We are the church. The people here are the church. It's not the building. It's not the location. And this gathering reminds us that we are together in this. And that helps us keep going. It helps us keep moving. And I'm convinced that a lot of people don't participate in the Sunday morning worship gathering, not because they don't think it's important, not because they think it's frivolous or something like that, but because they fundamentally misunderstand what's happening here. You see, a lot of people treat church kind of like a shopping mall, like we would treat it a store where you can go in when you want to, if you want to, and get maybe a few spiritual truths that you can use and take home with you. And you might be uplifted by singing some songs that are good and that make you feel nice, and you can go on about your life. That's not how we ought to think about church. The reality is the church is like a forward operating base for the kingdom of God. My military families, I know what I mean when I say a forward operating base. This is not the main big home base like we have here in Jacksonville. Forward operating base is an outpost in enemy territory. It's an outpost where patrols and soldiers can come back from, their, from their, their work in the field, fighting the enemy, tracking the enemy, looking for the enemy, and they can be refreshed. They can be refueled. They can be rested. They can be healed. They have doctors. They have supplies. The commander is there to give mi- updates on the mission and how we're doing and the task at hand, right? It's just a little outpost that's surrounded by the enemy. And church, we live in a world that is out to get us. We live in a world that is not on our side, that does not have God's goals in mind, that does not have God's mission in mind, and in fact is set against the mission of God in this world. And our church gathering is when we come out from our patrol to be refueled and refreshed and ministered to and encouraged and lifted up. Not so we can stay here, so we can go out on another patrol again this week. We're going to dismiss here in a little bit. We're going to have a little fun in the food trucks, and that's be great. But after that, you're going to go home. And tomorrow, most of us will go to work in a place that doesn't feel like this. 
And it's very dangerous if we stay out on patrol, if you will, if we stay out in the world without ever coming back to base to get filled back up. Eventually, the enemy will pick you off and he will have his way with you. And so we are not a shopping mall. We're not a concert. We're not an entertainment venue. We are a forward operating base in enemy territory and we've got to check in with one another so that we can keep going. Church is for you. You need to gather with this church or your church for your own benefit. But here's the other thing. Church is not just for you. Church is also for us. We need you to come to church. Does that make sense? It's not just for what you can get out of church, but we as a faith family, we need you to come to church. Church is for us as a body. Look back at our text. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So interesting to me when the author of Hebrews says, hey, I want to make sure you gather with Christians. I want to make sure you don't neglect this gathering. The reason he says, the first thing he says is because we need each other. The other people at church need you there. Your church attendance is not just for you, but it's for us as a whole. He says we need you to show up because we need a few things from you. And so if you'll forget for me, I'm going to ask some things of you, church, when you come here. The first thing he says is we need you to stir up love in our faith family. We need you to stir up love in our church. An attitude of love should permeate the people of God, shouldn't it? Like when you come into a gathering of Christians, you should be able to tell these people love God and love one another. You should be able to feel it. But the thing is, that doesn't happen accidentally. It's got to be cultivated. It's got to be stirred up, as this text says. It's going to take some effort on your part to make that happen in our faith family. John 13, 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When people walk into our faith family, I wonder, do they know these people are Jesus' disciples? I can tell because they love one another. It's stirred up in here. How do we stir up love in one another? Easy. The Bible says, greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. <laughs> I don't see any kissing in here, please. Unless it's your spouse. You can lose maybe the practice, but we'll keep the principle deal. Holy affection as a church body is what that verse is talking about and what I think this passage is speaking to. Church, it should be warm in here, not because the AC is broke or because it's Jacksonville in August, but it should be warm because we love one another, right? You should feel some affection in this place. A warm smile, a genuine greeting, a side hug. Don't get weird with it, but just a nice quick hug. <laughs> Maybe remember the conversation you had with someone last week because you prayed for them through the week and you asked them about it the following week. You know what that does for someone? That makes them feel loved cared about, heard, seen, should be a marker of our faith family. Another way you can stir up love is by serving other people. That's some people's love language is service, and they receive love by being served, which brings us to our next thought is what we need from you here is we need you to stir up good works in us as well. He says, stir up good works. Those aren't going to come naturally either. We got to work on that. James says, faith without works is dead. And so the way we show that we are serious about our faith is by acting on our faith. What do we mean by 
doing good works means finding ways to join the mission of God, the mission of the church in practical, meaningful ways. It means serving one another here within our faith family. It means serving our neighbors, like a partnership we have with Lone Star and other organizations in our community. It means living on mission where God has placed you. You can stir up good works in us as a church through your example, through your invitation, or maybe even your testimony. Just doing good works, just serving in our congregation goes a long way to make us the faith family we're called to be. Hop on the greeting team, the safety team, lead a community group or life group, whatever God has equipped you to do, do it and be an example for others. Think about a time I was in, uh, I was leading a mission trip uh, to a church plant in Tampa that was just getting started and didn't have a lot of resources, but had been given a building by their local association in an underserved community. And, and so me and some, uh, some other couples from the church went to this church in Tampa to try to get their facility up and running. And I and a guy named Edgar were assigned to kind of this little rough patch of dirt that they wanted to kind of clean up and do the landscaping in. They wanted to make it look nice. And um, it's Tampa, it's hot, it's this time of year, and uh, we're working away, working away, and I'm getting a little tired, you know? I was just like, okay, thinking, man, can we, can we take a break? And I look over at Edgar, and Edgar is just going ham on that dirt. I mean, he's just getting after it. It makes me go, okay, well, I guess we're not taking a break. And so I just keep going. Why? Edgar's, Edgar's encouragement to me wasn't verbal. He didn't say, Stuart, get to work, but he just got after it and made me go, you know what, I'm going to get after it too. You can be that for someone else. You can stir up good works in our faith family by doing them yourselves. You can invite other people to join you into those good works. Hey, I think you'd be great in kids' ministry. Would you, I, I love serving in kids' ministry. Would you love to serve with me? Why don't you give it a shot? Invite other people into that. Encourage other people. How do you stir up uh, love and good works? Those are important things. But he also says here in verse 25, he says, we're just to encourage one another as a church. Friends, church should be the most encouraging place on earth, right? Shouldn't it? This world has a way of beating us up, of knocking us down, and the world should be a place, instead of being beating us down, it should be building us up. Every person that walks in here should leave here more encouraged than they did when they got here. Let me read you a list of things really quickly that are weighing people down. Brain surgery, a kidnapping, sickness, Divorce, broken bones, open heart surgery, death of a child. Seven items right there. You know what that list is? It's our prayer request list in this church from this week alone. That's just seven items. There's more than seven people here, and every one of us is carrying a burden, aren't we? Many of us walked into this place carrying something too heavy for us to bear. And this church should be a place that lightens the load. It says, I'll bear that burden with you. I'll encourage you in it. And so your mission, church, when you step on this church property, should be to encourage anyone and everyone you can find. Let's be encouraging people. Let's be uplifters. Here's the miracle of how this works. If each of us decides that our mission is to be an encourager, to serve other people in that way, instead of coming to say, well, what does this place have for me? If we change our mindset and say, what can I give to others? How can I serve others? You know what happens if all of us do that? We all leave encouraged. But if every one of us shows up here and goes, what's in it for me? We all leave disappointed. The author of Hebrews says, hey, I need you to not forsake the habit of meeting together because we need you 
to encourage us, to lift us up. There are around 60 one another commands in the New Testament. Bear one another's burdens, love one another, serve one another, those types of commands. Things like those can't be fulfilled if we're not together. You can't be a one another church without being around one another. And so the church is a gathering for you. The church is a gathering for us. Finally, the church is for God. The church is for God. We gather to worship the God of the universe, to hear from his word, to remember his sacrifice in the Lord's Supper, and to celebrate the new birth and baptism. Now, I could say, it'd be totally fine, it'd be a much shorter sermon, which you might be okay with. I could say, we just gather because God told us to, right? And we want to do what he says. And that would be totally fine. He tells us to in this verse, verse 24, that we not, need to not forsake the gathering together and we could go home. And that would be fine. That would be enough. And if nothing else we say is compelling to you, then, then anchor on that. But I think there's more to it than that, isn't there? God didn't just tell us to gather, but he calls us to worship him. He invites us to worship him. And worship at its core is a sacrificial giving to God. That's what it is in the Old Testament. That's what it is in the New Testament. You look at Romans 12, 1. It's the same idea. It's the sacrificial giving to God. In the Old Testament, as we said, it looked like visiting a temple, bringing an animal sacrifice, pouring out oil, giving grain, something like that. Jesus changes everything for us, doesn't he? When we gather here on Sundays, instead, we offer our time. We offer our attention. We offer our voices. We offer him our obedience. We offer him our adoration. We offer him our commitment. We worship God through giving him these things. And let me tell you, church, he's worth it. He's worth it. Part of the Sunday morning gathering is to remind ourselves that he is worth it. Look back at verse 19 with me. Can we just go through 19 through, I don't know, 22? Slowly, look at this. He says, therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true hearts and full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We, you and I, unholy people, impure, stained, unrighteous, we can enter the holy place, this says. The presence of God. Whereas before Jesus being in the presence of God meant certain death, now for us as Christians being in the presence of God means joy everlasting. How is this possible, he says? By the blood of Christ. Jesus died on a cross, pouring out his blood, and that blood purifies us and makes us clean before the Lord. The author uses the symbolism of a curtain here in the Old Testament, a curtain in the temple. Uh, the curtain separated the holy place where the presence of